You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Okay, so jumping right in, this is always a little bit difficult to do because we're, we're continuing a stream of thought that was begun last week and really the week before that and the week before that and the week before that because this is one letter, right? And so what Paul did last week and what Reed um, preached for us I'm sure eloquently, is that he has described, Paul has described for us generally what life in the flesh looks like and what life in the spirit looks like. And so Paul describes in in the end of chapter 5, this is what life in the flesh looks like. It looks like drunkenness, it looks like orgies, it looks like sexual immorality, it looks like all of these things. And then here is the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? He's described for us generally life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And what we know, again, from before that, is that if we are in Christ, then we have life in the spirit, not life in the flesh. And so Paul encourages the Galatians to keep in step with that spirit, right? What does he say in chapter 5? Verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And so Paul instead now is going to encourage them to the opposite of those things. So don't be conceited, right? Don't envy one another. Don't provoke one another. Instead of those things, boom, this is where we start in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the fruit of the Spirit, when the fruit of the Spirit displays itself in our lives, it shouldn't lead us to a sense of moral superiority. It shouldn't lead us to become conceited, rather it should lead us to a tender care for those among us who are struggling, whether they are struggling as Christians or whether they are struggling as non-Christians. Now, why is that? Paul continues in verse 1, he tells us that we must keep watch on ourselves lest we too be tempted. So the reason that our relationships look different in the church when the fruit of the Spirit exhibits itself, when we are doing those good things that God has called us to do, rather than exhibiting itself in a moral superiority, it exhibits itself in a tender care for the one who is struggling because because we should recognize our own fallibility. Because we should recognize our own potential for evil and the great grace of God by which that evil has not merely been restrained by our efforts, but rather has been swallowed up wholly by the work of Jesus on our behalf. Right? And so again, this is what Paul is digging into immediately. The holiest among you, those among you who are spiritual, those who would call themselves spiritual, should exhibit that spirituality in a tender love and care for those who are weaker. And this means something to the Galatians. Why? Because you had two classes of Christians in the church in Galatia. You had 
the Jewish Christians, who not only had Jesus, but also had their cultural identity. You also had the Gentiles, who had been welcomed in, and yes, they're a part of us, but they're not like us. And if they want to be like us, they need to be like us. They need to be circumcised. They need to practice like we practice. They need to live like we live. And yet, Paul is saying that not only is there no such distinction, but even if there were, even if there were those among us who are more mature, and there are, that maturity should exhibit itself not, again, in superiority, but in tender and faithful love and care because we recognize that all of us at one point have been in need of tender love and care, that all of us at one point have been susceptible to the temptations of the world, that all of us at one point have lived into the flesh rather than into the spirit. And so we should restore anyone who is caught in any transgression with a spirit of gentleness. Keep reading verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So again, Paul is saying that those who are spiritual among us are not those who have ticked all of the boxes, but rather they are those among us who have been set free from their flesh and who are now expressing their freedom in Christ by doing what? By bearing the burdens of those around them and in so doing, fulfilling the law of Christ. And so this, this law that Paul is talking about, the law of Christ, what we, what we begin to see is that really and truly this law exceeds the laws of the Jews in that it not only tells them what not to do, how to not behave, but it also tells them how they should behave and particularly how they should behave towards just those who are in need around them. That they should bear their burdens. And this is essentially what the whole letter is about, right? What are faithful Christians responsible for? Right? That's essentially what this letter is trying to answer. Are they responsible for the Jewish law? Are they responsible for all of the Jewish customs? Should the, should the males be circumcised? And what does Paul do? Like, he so often does, he boils it down to this one very simple and central thing. Bear one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. This is what we are responsible for, brothers and sisters. And so that means that we may bring with us into the church cultural differences, but those cultural differences are not to be packaged or homogenized and tightly maneuvered into this one particular way of living. No, they're to be brought underneath this unifying understanding that we are called together, brothers and sisters, to bear one another's burdens. And as we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. In verse 13 and 14 of chapter 5, we read this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
This is all that Paul would require of the Christians in the church in Galatia, and it's all that Paul would require of us. As Christians, if you are a Christian in the room this morning, we are responsible for loving others as we love ourselves, and that primarily expresses itself in the bearing of one another's burdens. You want to know how to express love to someone? Bear their burdens, is what Paul is saying. In the measure that we want grace, we give grace. In the measure that we want others to share our burdens with us, we share in the burdens of others. Why? Because this is how Jesus chiefly has communicated himself to us. Right? He was free. Jesus was free, and yet he did not use his freedom as an opportunity for himself. He laid his freedom down so that he might, through love, serve us. We were caught in transgression, but he restored us to God and to one another, calling us to come to him because he's gentle and lowly in heart, is what he says in Matthew. He bore all of our burdens so that what we carry now is the light burden of being a son or daughter of God. You see, Jesus communicated his character to us chiefly in these ways, in the bearing of our burdens, in the laying down of his freedom for our sake. And so it's fitting, brothers and sisters, that we as his disciples would communicate God's character to others chiefly in those same ways in the love of others, in the laying down of our freedom for the sake of others, and in the bearing of one another's burdens. And so what becomes clear to us here, brothers and sisters, as we read this, is that we cannot be considered spiritual if we are not actively bearing one another's burdens. Notice how Paul says that those among you who are spiritual If we're not actively bearing one another's burdens, if we're not restoring those in sin gent gently, then we're not experiencing true spirituality. So true spirituality is not whatever works for you, and the fruit of the Spirit is not produced simply so that you might consume it, so that you might enjoy it. Man, I'm really enjoying my love. I'm really enjoying my gentleness and kindness and gosh, this self-control is wonderful. Right? It's expressed primarily within the context of relationship and primarily within the context of relationship within the body of Christ, the church. The life of the Spirit flourishes for the sake of others and within the context of others. There's a relational end to this theology, a relational reality that is born out of it. And so the church is really and truly meant to function like a team where every member cares for every member. And so the reality, brothers and sisters, this morning is that if you would consider sojourn your home, then you cannot fulfill this law of Christ here at sojourn without finding your way into a neighborhood parish. We've structured our church that way on purpose. Fulfilling the law of Christ means giving yourself in love and humility to the service of others. And that happens in the context of the neighborhood parish. And yet here's what's kind of weird about this section of text is that we get 
again, like Paul often likes to do, two seemingly contrasting ideas. We're meant to care for one another. We're meant to be primarily focused on the needs of the people around us rather than our own needs. And yet, even as we accept responsibility for others, we must also accept responsibility for ourselves, right? This is what it says in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And this is the paradox of true community. Everyone must take responsibility for everyone, including themselves. Or in other words, everyone takes care and nobody takes advantage. I'm responsible for you and you are responsible for you. And you are responsible for me, and I am responsible for me. In this type of community, neither the giver of help nor the recipient of help is exalted. Christ is exalted. Let me explain. Christ gives to the giver for the benefit of the recipient. So there's nothing to boast about. Right? So if you're actively giving to somebody else, you've been given that from God for the benefit of that person. So it's not, it's not about you. It's the gift of God being given and leveraged through you. So a generous rich man is not holier than a needy poor man. Because Christ serves the poor man through the rich man, and Christ serves the rich man through the poor man. The poor man praises God for the provision and the rich man praises God that his worship is no longer choked out by excess. So you see what Paul is describing here in these few verses is the ideal society, right? It's, it's utopia. And it's not just a utopia or, or some version of one. It is, it is the only one. It is a Trinitarian one, wherein the one and the many are perfectly integrated, where you have a respect for the individual, and yet the community that it, that individual is surrounded by is equally important. You have one, but you have many. You have a united church comprised of many individuals. And so he says, bear one another's burdens and carry your own load. And I've heard off and on this complaint about the church um, or the neighborhood parish, and you may have heard it too. In fact, you may have even said it. I'm pretty sure I, at one point, have said this. It's this sentence. I just, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this. Or, if you're really Christian, I don't feel like I'm being fed here. Now, to you, this is Paul's response to you. Paul's response to you seems counterintuitive, but what he's saying is that the way to be fed is to feed. The way to get something out is to bring something in. Right? Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, this, this book just filled with wisdom, right? 
backs this idea up. This is what Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And so, brothers and sisters, let's not withhold ourselves from one another. Let's not Let's not withhold our help from one another. Let's not withhold our care from one another. Or else we might just find ourselves also without one another, without one another's care, without one another's help. Our our parish gathering meals are a tangible expression of this spiritual reality. We need one another to be nourished. Man cannot live on rotisserie chicken alone. Right? You've been to that parish gathering, haven't you? Right? Everybody brought rotisserie chicken this week. Or maybe to that parish gathering where just nobody brought food. Maybe you just brought food. And everybody's hungry. But it's the person that didn't bring anything that's complaining, right? We need one another to be nourished. When we all bring food, we all get fed. When we're all focused and concerned with and bearing one another's needs, then all of our needs get met. And yet there's a reality to this kind of living, this kind of others-centric living, this doing good on behalf of others, this others focused, this consistent giving of ourselves, pouring of ourselves out that is difficult, that is wearisome. And so what do we do in those moments? Paul responds again. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so again, verse 7, God is not mocked, right? God will not be fooled by our attempts to please Him by our performance, but He is satisfied with Jesus' performance on our behalf. And in that satisfaction, He empowers us to do good to everyone in this new life that we have by the Spirit. And so as we can see, brothers and sisters, Paul will simply not allow this letter to the church in Galatia to be interpreted as freedom from obligation. Freedom from obligation either to our Heavenly Father as His children or to our brothers and sisters within His church. The household of faith. Everything that He's called us to here, not only at the latter part of chapter 5, but the beginning of chapter 6 as well, these are all good things. And we are told that we should continue in these good things, right? These, this bearing of burdens, this restoring of people, this being gentle with one another, this sharing with one another and esteeming one another. Those are good things that we are told we should continue because eventually they will reap. 
Eventually they will reap. And what will they reap? Paul tells us that they will reap eternal life. That will gain in those moments when the church is living into its God-given identity as sons and daughters of the living God, empowered by the Spirit to bear the burdens of those within the church and outside the church, that when that happens, a taste of heaven will be put upon our lips. That we will taste eternal life even in the here and now. That if we do good to one another in these ways, we'll get a taste of what heaven will be like when the barrier of our sinful nature no longer exists to interrupt the good that we will experience there. And so here's what Paul is saying. And I don't know about you, but I think this is maybe one of my biggest frustrations in the Christian life, just as a Christian. So pastor aside, right? Forget all that, just as a Christian. Is that a lot of times it feels like when I do good things, good things don't happen. And I don't necessarily even mean for me. I just mean, man, I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm teaching well, I feel like I'm serving well, or I feel like I'm doing these things that God has called me to do, and there doesn't seem to be anything born from it. Either personally, in my own growth, to be more like Jesus or in other people that I'm really trying to serve and care for and love who seem to respond with little to nothing. And I, I think if we're Christians in the room, we've all at some point felt that way. As though our good labor doesn't seem to be doing any good. And Paul in that says, persist. Notice he doesn't say when we will reap, but he does say that we will reap. Now, how can he say that? He can say that because he knows that God is faithful, because the promises that God makes, he intends to keep, and he does keep. We have Christ as our assurance of that. We have the presence of the Spirit ongoing in our lives as assurance of that reality and so he says so 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 and one day you will reap and here's the thing brothers and sisters i think for me personally and and this may be true of you as well i would i would venture to guess it probably is all too often i give up i give up before i see any fruit because I expect everything to be immediate. I expect my Uber to get here in four minutes or less. I expect my Uber Eats to get here in two minutes or less because I'm hungry, right? Or favor, sorry, um, right? And so we expect this to just be like a microwavable thing. Like, okay, we, so we put, we put bearing one another's burdens in the microwave, we push 30 seconds and out comes sanctification and holy living. And we're done, right? And Paul says, no, no, no. When we live like that, brothers and sisters, we're like farmers who don't sow but still expect there to be a crop at the end of the season. So make no mistake, brothers and sisters, this life together is work. Bearing one another's burdens and your own burdens is work. It is hard 
it is difficult. It requires us to think less of ourselves and to think more of others. It requires us to slow down. It requires us to listen to people's hurts, even if we think they're unreasonable or even if we've never shared that experience and so we're struggling to be empathetic, right? It requires, it demands much of us. And yet Paul says, if we sow these things, we will reap. We'll reap, brothers and sisters, and we will reap eternal life. And here's the thing, and I, I, I love the way in the sovereignty and kindness of God, Paul constructed this because it's not just the church that Paul wants to get a taste of heaven. It's not just for the church. Certainly it is for the church, especially for the household of faith, right? But he says, do good to everyone. Right, and that God has made us a people for himself, right, not just to enjoy one another, but also so that we might communicate the work of Christ to others in the way that we bear burdens like Christ has borne ours. As God's free children, we will be given opportunity to do good, and we must both recognize and seize that opportunity for God's glory and for our joy. And so what we begin to see, brothers and sisters, as we bring Galatians to its conclusion, Paul's statement, Paul's case here, is that it is the diverse church's unity and persistence in doing good for a diverse many people that is the most clear evidence of God's gospel in the person and work of Jesus permeating the life of the church by the power of the Spirit. That was a long sentence, but it's Galatians in a box. I'm going to read it again. It is the diverse church's unity and persistence in doing good for a diverse many people that is the most clear evidence of God's gospel in the person and work of Jesus permeating the life of the church by the power of the Spirit. So Paul doesn't want a church of Jews and Gentiles that can stand to meet with one another, that can put up with meeting with one another, but a church of Jews and Gentiles that actively love one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. What was disunited by cultural differences and false teaching, Paul would have united in spite of cultural differences through the true gospel. So brothers and sisters, my final exhortation from this letter to the church in Galatia is let us walk in love toward others within this household of faith and those outside of it. Let's pray often for one another. Let's grumble less. As we have opportunity, let's be together. Let those of us who by God's providence have much as administer to the necessities of the poor. Let's bear one another's burdens, sympathizing with the afflicted. Let's advise one another, caution one another, encourage one another, and restore one another in love. Let's watch over one another like good siblings. Let's not give offense, and let's not take offense. Let's bear the marks of Christ and fulfill the law of Christ through service to one another and our neighbors. Because, brothers and sisters, the unity that our country is so often calling for, 
is found here and here alone. And so God forbid, God forbid that we read Paul's letters to the Galatians and walk away divided. If we do that, then we will have missed the entire point. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, God, grateful to be gathered with your people this morning and grateful to know, God, that I am in a place where my burdens are borne not only by myself, but by others. And where I get the privilege and the joy and the honor of laboring to bear the burdens of others. I pray, Father, that you would make us this kind of people. A people, Lord, who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in such a way that it leads us to think less of ourselves and by less, I mean less often. And more of those around us. Both those within the church who need our love and care. And those outside of the church who are in dire need of your grace and of your mercy. And of the rest and peace that is only found in a work that has already been completed. The work of Jesus. And Lord, there is no more fitting way to end this sermon or this sermon series than to share a meal together. And so as we approach your table, God, may we each be satisfied and find rest in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. And in that satisfaction and in that rest, Lord, may we be empowered to go and bear the burdens of those around us. Thank you for bearing ours, even though you had no reason to bear them. No obligation. And yet you chose to. For that we rejoice and for that we praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.